Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The last song that we sang has a lot to do with what I'm going to share with you today. We're going to read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, just the one verse found at verse 17, where the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Since it's just one verse, let me read it again. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Which, by the way, obviously is the term we use for people who die. They passed away. Now think of it in those terms. Old things are passed away. They've died. Behold, all things are become new. The title that I gave to this message, again, if you read the email that I send out each week, was New Year with a period. Today is December the 31st. The year is 2023. And we are having service on the Lord's Day at the last day of this year. But what follows in the title is a short question. Two words, really, same results. It's a new year. But are you going to have the same results? Now, if you made progress in any way that you'd like to describe in 2023, you might say, yes, I do want the same results. My business did well, the family and my health and whatever. But the truth of it is, far too many people, and I'm addressing people who profess Christ, don't make the type of progress that they should. So then I beg, which is not really a proper term, but... I use the question, are you going to get the same results that you just got in the last 365 days? If indeed you understand what the book says, where you should be along the line of your progress in Christ, you don't want to keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again. Yet again, getting close to 50 years in ministry. I'm not there yet, but in just a couple of years, I'll be 50 years in ministry. And my experience with professing Christians is that they just simply don't make the type of progress that this book addresses, the commands of Christ and so on. Ye are my friends, ye are my disciples, if you keep my commandments, if you do what I say. That's the difference between reading the words of the scriptures and doing them. It's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Many of you know the Bible. You know what it says. The question is, are you doing what it says? So, if you happen to be in that position, I will not address those who had good results this year. There's room for more improvement, that's for sure. But I'm addressing the many people who are pretty much average, who just don't seem to make much progress. And instead of telling you the best way to lose weight or the best way to exercise or how to be successful in business and all of that, that's not under my purview. That is not my calling. Can I talk intelligently about those subjects? Yes, in private, but it's just in private. My job is to preach the word. And in order to gain the results, and in order to set the goal, the work is already done for you. The Bible sets the goal for us. God says, here's the goal. Let me just call it a resolution, since that's an operative phrase this day. And within just a few days, it'll be already gone from the lips and minds of many people. God already has a resolution that says, this is the goal. This is the goal that I have for you. And then he gives us the means to attain that goal. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Whatever your result was in 2023, if it was good, there's room for much more improvement. And if it wasn't good, then you want to ask the question, is it going to be the same year? For instance, if you were living a certain way, contrary to what this book says, at one minute to midnight, and you wait two minutes... It's a different year, but it's the same old thing. It's the same old thing. I don't know how many of you are going to stay up to watch a ball drop in Times Square and celebrations around the world for a new year, but I usually don't make it. But I will wake up tomorrow morning, God willing, and it will be a new year. And there I have goals. I have personal goals. Not all, but most all of which circulate around this Bible, this book. But those goals are handed to me by God as they are to you. So once again, if you are satisfied with the results that you've gotten in 2023, that's good. But there's room for improvement. But if you have not, then it's time to break up the fallow ground and seek the Lord. Not Christianity, the Lord. 
Jesus at the Last Supper, when we have communion here each week, he didn't say, whenever you do this, remember your denomination. Remember that you're a Baptist, a Methodist, a Pentecostal, a Catholic, whatever. He never said that. He said, remember me. Remember me. That's what we need to do. We need to remember Jesus. And so that's the question. Once the clock strikes midnight and you're one minute past and we're in the year 2024, is that going to be the nascence of you just repeating the same year over and over again? Repeating 2024 as you did 2023. And I pray that you don't. That's just, again, I'm addressing those who are not satisfied with their walk in the Lord or those who are satisfied Yet Jesus addresses you in the book of the Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, who is saying to you, well, you have all this going, but I have one thing against you. And that's why I say to you that when we call for an examination of our own hearts, which we can do, we need still the aid of the Holy Spirit to point out those things that we just don't see, which many times for other people it's obvious to see, but most importantly, it's obvious for God to see. That's what you want. Those insights are provided for you by God. Viktor Frankl, Austrian-born psychiatrist who also survived the Holocaust, he wrote these words. He said that man does not simply exist, but always decides what his existence will be, what he will become the next moment. And remember, this is a man who went through the Holocaust. By the same token, every human being has the freedom to change at any instant. Read it one more time. The words of Viktor Frankl. Man does not simply exist, but always decides, that's an act of the will, always decides what his existence will be, what he will become the next moment. By the same token, every human being has the freedom to change at any instant. Now, even though this is more a secular statement, it's still true. We will go further and talk about the work of the Holy Spirit today, of which, once again, that last song that we sang, Change My Heart, that has a lot to do with this message here that I'm going to give you, because the goals are already picked out for us. And what we need to accomplish the goal is already supplied. What we got to do is what Viktor Frankl spoke about here. We must choose what our existence will be. Me, just to give you an example, I've chosen to be what I am from this pulpit. I do realize that I could be more popular. I could draw more people. I could do a lot of things with the gifts and talents that God gave me if, number one, I pervert them. And number two, I decide to compromise this book. If I'm looking through here, whether it's conscious or unconscious, and I come to a subject that I am quite aware that people do not want to hear, I could choose not to talk about it ever, which, as we know, many preachers are doing today. And they've done throughout history. But I've chosen to be faithful to God in that respect. The book says what it says. It doesn't really matter to me what people say or think or they're not going to tolerate this or whatever. What's important to me is that I'm faithful to the Lord. That when my moment comes, if I'm laying on a bed somewhere and if I'm conscious and I know that my hours are short, that any hour I'm going to meet the Lord, that I have a confidence that I've been faithful. And a hope that when I see him, he will say to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant, well done. It was said to me many, many years ago by one of my elders at the time, I think I've told you this, when I was a young minister, just getting credentialed, and just about to launch into ministry full time, with nothing, no backing, no money, nothing. I had nothing, I had no promises from anybody except what I had in this book. That was it. That's how we started ministry. My elder asked me, he said, now, son, he said, are you a long distance runner or are you a sprinter? And I wasn't quite sure of what he was referring to. I thought about my personality. I said, well, I'm a sprinter. And he said, well, that's too bad. He said, because ministry is a long distance race. And he said this, and it has proven to be true so many, many times in my life. And it'll be true in yours as well. He said, son, there will be times... That the only thing is going to keep you in ministry is that you know that you know that you know that you know that you're called. And you'd have no idea, my wife has some idea, of how many times I've wanted to just quit. I have no idea. What has prevented me from quitting is just one simple thing put forth here by Viktor Frankl is a decision to not quit no matter what. Let me tell you a little something, a little story. 
When I came here the first few years, and we were having great success and drawing lots of people, we had to go into two services in the morning and other things, I had a number of people tell me in ministry, some of them in the higher places of ministry, that this is just a stepping stone for you. This city, this place is just a stepping stone for you. And then they began to paint a picture of where they saw me going based on my gifts and talents. And from the beginning, I never saw it that way. I always saw that this was my calling. Now, if that were to change, I won't be here. But from that day to this, this has been my calling. And that has come through one agency that Viktor Frankl named in his little statement here, a decision to be faithful in this city here, in this town in upstate New York, the decision. And I will submit to you, minus the fact that God obviously makes decisions for our lives and in our lives, your entire life hinges on a decision, daily decisions, plural. What you decide, just what Viktor Frankl said, that you can change your existence. Now, we have to obviously square this with the Bible, and I'll do that in just a moment, but we have to decide whether we're going to be faithful to the end. God will supply all the grace that we need. We have to decide, and we do this on Christmas Eve in the candle lighting ceremony. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. We know that. But then he also says to us, and you are the light of the world. That we must decide. And just like the moon does not give off any real light in the way we think of the sun or any star, it only reflects the light of the sun. The moon simply reflects the light of that star that we call the sun. Likewise, and it is a bit different, the illustration doesn't hold true all the way through, but we are reflecting the life of Christ through the spirit, same spirit that he's given to us that was in Jesus is now in us, if indeed you're born again. You can go to churches all around the world, people who are faithful to attendance, let's say Sunday mornings, maybe Bible studies and prayer meetings. And if you ask anybody in any church around the world whether they're a Christian, they're going to say, of course, yes, of course I'm a Christian. But then I would submit the question, by whose definition? Your denomination or your own definition of what you think a Christian is? Your fellowship tells you a Christian is? Or by what Jesus said a Christian is? And it makes sense to me, it always has, that if you want to know what anybody is in anything that has been created, you go to the source of the creator. If you want to know whether you're a Christian or not, I suggest that you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then keep making your way forward to Acts and Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and so on. That describes what a Christian is. Not your opinion, not my opinion, not the denomination, the fellowship. No, it's God's word that tells us this is a servant. This is a son or a daughter. <clears throat> this is what a Christian is. This is what a follower is. Then we decide whether we're going to follow that path or make up one and just simply call it. Christianity, or call ourselves a Christian. I think that you're prudent enough to understand, or rather I should say, to want to be able to say, I'm a Christian by the standards of Jesus Christ. And by the word that he wrote through the apostles, through the prophets, and so on. I know that you're prudent enough to make that decision. So the question is, again, with a new year coming up in just a little over 12 hours, Will it be the same thing repeated again and again and again, which we know is the definition of insanity. It's doing the same thing again and again and again and again and expecting different results. That's for someone who is not in their right mind. If you know that doing this one thing keeps getting the same exact result, you change course. For us, it's looking squarely at the book. And by the way, you should do this because this is what I do as well. Every time I read the Bible, I pretend like I'm reading it for the first time. Because so many, many times when I made an assumption that I already know what this text means, there's something else that pops out at me. That happened just this morning as I finished the book of the Revelation. I saw something that I've, I don't know how many times I've read the book of the Revelation, but it's a lot, believe me. And all of a sudden, something just popped out. This is, you see, this is the depth of this book. So you don't approach it with the assumption, maybe you did know the scriptures from a child, or maybe just to spend the last few years, 10 years, whatever it has been. You approach it meekly, as we read in, in the epistle of James, we approach it with meekness, not assuming we know everything about it, even though we've read it a hundred times. It's looking for those things that I just said to you that just pop out. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why David would say, teach me to understand your law. Well, he could have read it. And no doubt did read it. 
Yet we find these saints of God praying for understanding about what they're reading, though one would guess that it's simple enough. And in many cases, it is simple enough. But what I have observed, even in the simplicity of God's commands, his principles, his promises, sometimes people just seem to miss it. Well, no, they don't seem to miss it. They do miss it. They just completely miss it. If we were to take every one of the commands that God has, Old and New Testament, we then look to Jesus, who took every one of them and brought it down to two. Love God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love one another. The problem there is this. For many years now, many decades, emotions and feelings have been cleverly disguised as intellect or spirituality. And it's not. Because you are emotionally involved with the Bible or aspects of the Bible does not mean you have a clear understanding of what it's saying to do. Jesus said, happy are you if you do them. So it's not just to have a feeling of love for God. It's to actually prove in our actions, behavior, thinking that we love God. And then there's loving one another, which I have always submitted to you that I believe is the harder of the two. I find God very easy to love because he's God. People, not so much, because they're people. In any case, that's the question put before you today. And whether this coming year is going to be a repeat of last year where you didn't get the results that you either wanted or hoped for, what's standing in the way between your year being different, better, making progress, and so forth, is a decision that only you can make. God does not make that decision for us. I know I'm going against some people's theology, but as I've read this book many, many times over, I am convinced that man still has a free will. And that we can tell God, I'm not choosing that way. You go to a restaurant, some place to eat, and you have a menu. You don't eat everything on the menu. You just choose this or that. And then you ask, instead of this, can I have that as a substitute? And sometimes they'll do that for you. But with the Bible, we don't have that option. Everything in here is meant for you. Everything that has a bearing on how you live. And so we look at this verse that we just read. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. What does that mean? Today, again, many people are making resolutions. I don't think that that's necessarily bad. I really don't. But this book is not talking about making a resolution. This book here, this Greek word that we come across, creature, means something newly created. Now think about that. This word that we use in theology, regeneration, or as we'll see later if we get a chance to read it, John 3, 3, you must be born again. That's what this is talking about. It's not talking about we have reformed our ways. This is not a reformation. This is not a resolution. It's being born of another spirit, God's spirit. And when that happens, we'll look at the verse again. If any man is in Christ, he is a new created being, a, a different type of being. It means the act of creating. That's what this word means here. This is the Greek word. It means the act of creating. That when we come to Christ and we turn from our sins and we have been enlightened by the Holy Spirit and we know what's right and what's wrong, by God's definition, we know what's right and we know what's wrong, and we are willing, listen, we are willing to comply. Not that we're able to always to comply, but that we're willing to comply. He makes the change, not us. What is our decision is to turn fully to Christ, not to be standing this way, somewhat going this way, somewhat going that way, which you cannot do. So we either go this way with the Bible in our hands, saying, I am a Christian, when God's word is denying us, saying, no, you're not. Or we go this way, God's way. And once we do, and we say, God, here I am, and I'm willing, and so on, he makes the change. He supplies the spirit. He's the one that whispers in our ears, not that way, go this way. Not that, choose this. That, my friends, is a Christian. It always has been for 2,000 years, and it always will be till Christ returns. It's what Christ says is a Christian, and those that were inspired by the Spirit of God, both Old and New Testaments, to put down into words for us to read, this is a Christian, and that decision is on you. And just in case I'm not clear or you don't know, again, b being a Christian in so many, many cases for so many, many people is an identification with a denomination, of which I've told you there's over 40-some-thousand denominations in the world. 
It's hard to explain to someone with legitimate questions. When Jesus prays that we may be one, that we have went through nuclear spiritual fission and split off into 44,000 different little churches. Nevertheless, the church of God is one of which God alone knows. The seal of God has this, as we read, as Paul talks to Timothy, God knows those that are his. I may not, and you may not, but God knows those that are his. So in my mind and in my understanding, the church is one. It just meets in different places. But what I was saying is that you can go and ask anybody in a church meeting right now if they're a Christian and they're faithful and they're routinely there and all these things, they're going to say yes. But the question again is by whose definition? The bishop, the pastor, the apostle, whoever they, whatever their name may be, or the book, the word of God. And of course, the answer is clear. If you are in Christ, you are a new being. Obviously, you're still human. Obviously, you still have your personality, but the one that you were born with, your personality is still with you. And many of the things that were from birth given to you, including some gifts and talents and other things, are still with you. But there's something significant, something that is inexplicable, except we read it on the pages of Scripture, is that we are no longer being animated by our own selves and merely our own decisions. Now we have God leading us. I quoted to you from Psalm 23, verse 1 earlier. The Lord is my shepherd. That means he's leading me. I'm not leading him. Again, let me just say this. My view of the church is that we must follow the way Christ said to build it. And there are many clever ways. I'm not going to debate with people who have clever ways of drawing people in. But when I read the book of Acts, Jesus says to the original church, the early church, comprised of just 120 people. There was obviously more, but there was 120 people in the upper room. He said, do not leave Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere. Don't speak in my name. Don't preach a sermon. Don't start a church. Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes on you. And that's just not a doctrine when we talk about the Holy Spirit. And it's not just, again, an emotional experience as it is thought of to be by some. It's an actual imparting of God himself into man so that we read and then we see and then we experience little by little that we are now the sons of God. That's in 1 John. Daughters, of course. We are now the people of God. We read it from Peter. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A peculiar, which means uh, something very different. Basically, it means what this is here. The Holy Spirit's been given to you and he is now giving you life, eternal life. Remember, God has not had any beginning and he will have no end. When God imparts his life to you, you are a new creation. Read it that way. That may help you in 2 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5.17. When you read back here in Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was void without form and God spoke and all of this. That's what happens when we turn to Christ in John 3 and Jesus explains it. You must be born again. You must be recreated or regenerated is a theological term we use. A regeneration is not a reform. A regeneration is not a resolution. It's not I'm going to do better this year. If I may say so, I truly believe you can do that with dieting and exercise and reading books and success in your business because people do it. But for the Christian, everything that we do, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might and do it unto the Lord. For us, everything takes in what is the mind of Christ? What is the mind of God? And will we be compliant to what he has said? That's the question. New year, same results. But don't measure your results against mine and don't measure your results against others and don't measure your results, even what you put on paper. Measure yourself by this book. And I'll speak for myself. I'm always coming up short when I compare myself to this book. If I compare myself to other people, not so bad. But in 2 Corinthians, which is where we are, if you read earlier, he says that those that compare themselves among themselves, they're not wise. You're comparing yourself to something that doesn't reach the stature or the goals that God has said and set for you and for me. And so our compliance and our decision is, as Isaiah said, in the sixth chapter of the book of Isaiah, Here, my Lord, send me. Who will go for us, God says. And Isaiah says, I'll go. That's a decision. 
That's a decision. God has recreated you. James Boyce, author, preacher, wrote these words, and I like them, and I want to share them with you about what Christ has done. He wrote that Jesus endured a human birth to give us a new spiritual birth. He occupied a stable that we might occupy a mansion. He had an earthly mother so that we might have a heavenly father. He became subject so that we might be free. He left his glory to give us glory. He was poor that we might be rich. He was welcomed by shepherds at his birth so that we, through our new birth, can one day be welcomed by angels. He was hunted by Herod that we might be delivered from the grasp of Satan. And of course, the list would go on if we were to amend it. Of all that Christ has done, but here again, listen to me now. I never leave that office, my study. And always remember, when you look on my door there, it says, Pastor Study. I'm not a CEO. No pastor should be. That doesn't mean you don't guide the church. You're not called to be a businessman or reading Fortune 500 to get great ideas. You're supposed to be a student of the scriptures explaining it to the church. That's what we need. In any case, I never leave there, ever. Or if I have, it just slips my memory. Without saying to God, if you don't show up in the preaching of the word, it's not going to work. Nothing works. But you may say, but it's God's word. Yes, but it has to fall on hearts that are soft. And that God himself has prepared because God does the work. Turn with me to John chapter 15, if you would, please. To show you that this new year as you go forward is not dependent on your reformations or your resolutions. We read about Christ being the vine. In John chapter 15, we begin at verse 1 where Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. He's the gardener. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. We read in Psalm 1, the, right, the wicked unrighteous will not sit in the congregation of the righteous. Sometimes people go out and say, the pastor took me away. I didn't think I'd be away. We're always welcoming people in. But God does. How do I know that? That's what Jesus said. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it. He prunes it. That may be the reason today you're feeling pain and you can't figure out because your heart is 100% with Christ. And yet you're feeling pain and things are going not in your favor the way you look at it. It's the purging. It's the pruning. It's the cutting back that we may bear more fruit, which is exactly what the text says here. He purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now are ye clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me. And I in you, in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. What does that mean? Doesn't mean you can't go into business. Doesn't mean you couldn't make a million or a billion dollars as some have. It means spiritually speaking, nothing can happen without God being the agent behind it, moving things along and growing us. Sometime last year in the summer, when I was still doing my show, The Oasis, there's been a hiatus now because of what's going on in my own life. There's two trees right behind me, depending on which way I sat when I did the broadcast. They were probably about this much around. I'm thinking maybe three and a half, four feet, maybe, all the way around. Both of them cut down, but the stumps were kept there. They never removed them. And then they just trimmed it all off. So it was just bark, and even some of the bark had fallen off. And as I did my broadcast day after day, beginning in the spring, then in late spring, then in early summer, and then in the middle of the summer, and so on, I began to notice that the tree kept coming alive. By the end of the summer and the beginning of the fall, there was branches all over the place, leaves sprouting all over the place. And I even used it as an illustration during one of my teachings to those that watch. Who was doing that? It wasn't man. God's nature. And it is a mistake to think that we can do anything. We have this problem with lust. Or we have this problem with alcohol. We have this problem with drugs. We have this problem with whatever it may be, the way we think, the way we speak. That we're going to somehow reform ourselves. And Jesus said, without me, you could do nothing. You cannot be a spiritual man. 
We have the religions of the world that say be spiritual by breathing this way and stretching this way and trying this pose. And Jesus said, no, without me, you can do nothing. But you must be born again, which means to be born from on high. That's what it means. It means to be born from on high. Born of God. That's what it means, to be born of God. And when that takes control of your mind, everything changes. You know, the little things that you used to do as a Christian, the little things, the little words, other things, that never bothered you. How many of you are finding as you get older, now these little things are troubling you? And you say, you know, i got to give up that habit too. It's not exceptionally sinful, and maybe nobody even notices, but you notice. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not your work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that says, now we're coming to this. In other words, he starts with the major things first. And then you find that the refiner's fire keeps burning and burning and burning. And what else you find is this, that this is not me doing it. This is God in me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Where is Christ? Christ in you. Christ in you. Father, I in you and you in me and them in us. Paraphrase. This is what it's all about. Men do not make Christians. Men do not make believers. God makes believers. God makes people to be born again. It's the work of God. And the question I'm asking you today is this. New year, same results. Let me say this to you as your pastors. I'm not a guest speaker. I want to say this as gently as I can. From someone who is a sinner. I'm just simply an average man just like you. It's time to stop making excuses. At least if you do it and you want to still let me be your pastor, don't do it in front of me. Because for one, I'm tired of hearing people's excuses for why they cannot do this and why they cannot do that and why they will not do this and why they cannot do that. It is time to stop making excuses for all these things and do it. Jesus said in the book of the Revelation once again to those churches, to him that overcomes, to him that overcomes. It's not like Jesus is saying, if you overcome, it's a nice thing. He says, overcome. Those of you that have been in the military, those of you who know military history, as I do, know that many of the great generals didn't accept excuses. Take the hill. Take the ground. Why are you sitting still? Why haven't you crossed the river? Take it. Oh, but general, there's so many. And get through. Find a way to get through. All the great inventors, same thing. They didn't take excuses. Find a way. There is a way. That came from Ford. That came from Kettering. It came from a lot of people who said, there is a way and I will find it. The figures are different depending on who you're reading, but I'll just use this one here. When Edison was asked about failing at making a light bulb 10,000 times, he says, I didn't fail making a light bulb. I just found 10,000 ways not to make one. (laughs) Persistence, a constant going to the Lord for his strength to become what he says, become this, become this. It's not an option. You buy your car, they ask you if you want the extra this, or the satellite radio, or leather seats. There are options. But in Christ, he leaves us with no options. Follow me, but I want to go back and bury the dead. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Follow me. These are hard sayings. But remember, Jesus has reasons for what he says. And that decision of whether you will or not follow Christ is on you. Just keep in mind what the prize is or the penalty. Somebody says, if God is a God of love, why did he create hell? I don't believe in hell, they say. The question is, why do you believe God is a God of love? Well, Jesus said so. But Jesus said there's a hell as well. You don't get a right to pick and choose which doctrine you like and which you don't. Just keep in mind what you're turning away. He says, I'll not, I will not have this man to rule over me. I will not do it his way. He has set the goal for us. He says, be this and I will help you. You are not on your own. Without me, you could do nothing. I will do it in you, but be this. And that's a decision that we make. Jesus is divine. And God uses in his pruning all types of tools. He'll use a hammer. He uses nails, files, and he uses furnaces. And you feel the stress of the pruning of God. All the while, he's making you into what he wants you to be, not what you want to be. Remember, I remind you of this so often. Romans 8.28, the favorite verse of so many Christians, and we know 
that all things work together for the good of them that love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. Amen. We want that hung on our wall. And we need to hang verse 29 with it. Romans 8, 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, then did he also predestinate to be conformed into the image of his Son. Like we had here just a week ago. Little candles. I had the big candle. Christ, the light of the world, says, Now you be the light of the world. And you cannot do that without the Holy Spirit. Then we're taught to walk in the Spirit. You can read this in Galatians 5. You can read this in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Notice again, the Spirit of God is in us. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The first ten verses of Romans chapter 8. Read the whole chapter and read Romans chapter 6 and memorize it. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? Now take that word sin and put in your particular besetting sin. Shall we continue in adultery? Shall we continue in fornication? Shall we continue in drunkenness? Listen, let me just say this to you again respectfully. I am your pastor. There should be nobody in this room or even watching by the way of the live streaming or listening on the radio that should be found someplace tonight drunk. Now going further, you say, well, I don't get drunk, but I have been buzzed. If you're buzzed, you're drunk. It's as simple as that. What's the big deal, pastor? The book says, among other things, drunkards don't make the kingdom. Well, I don't drink alcohol. I smoke weed. To be intoxicated is to be intoxicated, whether you're taking illegal drugs on the street or alcohol, which is obviously legal, and so is marijuana in this state, and so on. Drunkenness is drunkenness. Intoxication is intoxication. And though you may be at a party where people are doing it because it's your family or friends, you cannot take part in those things. Because that is a mindset on the flesh. I saw someone the other day, a friend of mine, who had a t-shirt on that said, Jameson. If you don't know, Jameson is, uh, I want to say cheap. It's not necessarily cheap, but it's a brand of whiskey a lot of Irish people drink. So when I saw it, I said, well, I was raised on that, but I'm not on it now. <laughs> or Finnerty's, which is a much more expensive Irish whiskey. You see, I gave all those things up because as the Holy Spirit worked in my life many long years ago, well, first of all, I like my brain. I, I really do. I like my brain. I like to be able to think clearly. And when you're thinking clearly, watching other people who are drunk, you see how stupid they look, how stupid they act. Hey, brother, how are you going? And I would caution you, except the Holy Spirit's leading you in trying to witness to someone who's drunk, because they won't even remember in the morning what the conversation was all about. But you've been around them, and I've been around them, and some of our families have had a lot of people who were alcoholic and drank a lot. I thank God that he just showed me these things when I was fairly young. I don't have any desire. It's not one of my temptations, thankfully. I just cautioned you on this eve. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lusts thereof. But whosoever does the will of God abides forever. Amen. That's our promise. Let me just quickly talk about the new birth. One of the big headlines this week was the American wrestler Hulk Hogan getting baptized in a small Florida church. And this is what he said. Total surrender and dedication to Jesus is the greatest day of my life. He's just about the same age as me. No worries, no hate, no judgment, only love. Well, that's a young Christian, though he's an older man. He's a young Christian, so we'll see. But when I think about his career and his fame, and I don't have any of that, I'm glad that God gave me what I have at a young age to know him and the power of his resurrection. 
I don't envy these people. I hope that you don't. They're this, they're that, they're, what, they're strong, they're smart, you know, they're actors and all these different things. And they don't have what you have if you have Christ. If you really have Christ. Amen. If you really have Christ. You have the new birth. We sang this this morning. Here it is. Psalm 51 verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. That's your goal. You see, God is setting for you. Once again, God is setting for you what your goals are for 2024. Now, you set your own. I got a few of my own that are not necessarily in the book. But most of them center around preaching and teaching and being a man of God. But not all. But most of them. He's saying this is what it is. Create in me a clean heart. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, And I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 18, 31. Cast away from you all your transgressions whereby ye have transgressed and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Ezekiel 38, verse 26. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. But what I want to say to you is this. In this world, we have tribulation. But when we gather here, the Spirit of Christ in us makes this the oasis. Makes this the place where we can drink fresh water and be washed from the filth of the world. Not that we're taking part in it. But if you are, today you turn. Today. When is the day of salvation? Let me think about it. It's not yesterday. That's already gone. And tomorrow we don't know. The Bible says, God says, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to make your decision. Today, right now, is the time to make up your mind to follow Jesus or just to reject him. There are many people married in here. And of course, I've counseled many people that got into this predicament where one of the spouses was with another woman or another man, depending on the situation. And the deep hurt, when that covenant is broken... The deep, deep hurt. When a wife finds out her husband has been with not only a woman, but other women, plural. Now, in some cases, there's reconciliation. But where there's not, there's always a deep scar on the life of that other spouse, that man or the woman. And so you don't come to your wife and just say, look, that's just me. I just love women. So you have to accept that. And I'll get my supper. People don't like to be abused. But somehow we have a misconception about God and his love. He constantly says to Israel, you're a harlot, you're a whore. Well, that's a word that we don't use much anymore. And I don't use it much myself in ordinary conversation. But it's in the book. Harlot, that's in the book of the Revelation as well. Harlot, that's towards the church. Harlot, you've been with other women. You've been with other men. Like Hosea and his wife Gomer. You've cheated, you've been with other people. And we think somehow God just brushes it off. But God takes it serious. That's why it's written in the book that the spirit that is in us is envious of our relationship with God. Keep yourself unspotted from the world is what the book says. Oh, you say that's not an easy task. But did Jesus ever say it was going to be easy? No, he said just the opposite. It's this narrow path. And this is what you should be looking for one year from today. Whether other people see it or not is questionable, but... They will. They will. They'll notice the difference. That all of a sudden you have a prayer life. That all of a sudden you're talking scriptures. See, when I talk to people, I can tell how biblically literate they are by the way they talk. And so people will see. But whether they do or they don't is not really important as much as God knows. It's him working in you. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that is working in you. Not man and not the pastor. It is God that's working in you. He gives us his spirit. There was a missionary to India, a woman. And her job was to teach English to Hindu women using the Bible. In one of her lectures, one of her lessons, there was a number of Hindi women there. She was teaching from the Bible. This is English versus Hindi. And one woman just stood up, walked out of the room during the lesson. Then in a few minutes, the woman came back. And was much more interested in what the teacher had to say. Just seemingly out of nowhere. After the meeting, the missionary teacher asked this Hindi woman, why did you leave? Did you not feel good? No, she said, I feel fine. 
Did something come up? Was there an emergency? She said, no, there wasn't. The woman said, I went out, now listen to me. She said, I went out to ask your driver if you really live what you're teaching. And the driver said, yes, she does. So I came back because I wanted to hear more about Christ. When the Gentiles came to the apostles, they said this, Sirs, we would see Jesus. That's God's goal for you. As much as it's God's goal for me, it's God's goal for you. Now, here's the question we go to prayer with. Do you accept Jesus? Look, at, and I'm telling you, this is something I'm seeing in my own life. I'm trying to forget a lot of the things I've been taught so I can know the book. Everything you need to know, not want to know, everything you need to know is in this book. And I'm a reader, as you know. How many books I've read, I don't even know. But it's a lot. We need to decide if we're going to submit to the hammer and to the file and to the furnace, as well as the blessings, which is ultimately what it gives us, and to be as Jesus is, not as somebody else says Jesus is. The beauty, as I've told you so many times, everybody I've taught over the years, starting with the youth group 47 years ago, read it for yourself. Maybe I got it wrong. Maybe I didn't quote it right. Read it anyway. Be a Berean. And keep in mind that clever men and women can manipulate this so that you don't know up from down. But this book was written in Koine Greek. There was Doric, that's one dialect of Greek, Ionic, Attic. But God chose to write the New Testament in Koine. Koine means common. It was written, in other words, for you. For me. Not for the aristocrats, the heady, the graduates of Oxford, Cambridge. It was written for you, Koine. Will you have this man to rule over you? That's the question. If you're up tonight, when that ball drops and hits the bottom of the pole, that crystal ball, the year will change, but will it be the same result for you 365 days later? Or will you say, no, it's time for me to press on. It's time for me to forget those things which are behind, even the good things. It's time for me to forget those things which are behind. And press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And believe me, whenever I talk to people in the marketplace, and this subject comes up, the Bible, which it does frequently by me, I always say this one thing. If there was ever a time to be pursuing God, Christ, this is the time. Amen. Father, we just come to you today. And once again, I don't know the hearts of men. I don't even know my own heart. Till you point out, well, what's good and what's bad. So much less I know the hearts of men. But you know the hearts of men, and you know who does take you seriously. Help today at Time for Truth for us to be found like Philadelphia in the book of the Revelation, or Smyrna, who persecuted church. Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love. Let us not be found in hypocrisy. Let us not be found just giving you a nod, saying, yes, I'll love you, and yes, I'll love the brethren, and so on, without actually doing it. Help us, God. Because we can't do it without you. Pour out your spirit again, God. Pour out your spirit. In this last hour of history, however much time we have left, pour out your spirit that we may know you in the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings, being made conformable even unto your death, if that be your will, that we may know you. That's the object of why you wrote the Bible, that we may know you and have fellowship with you. Once again, God, today only you know whose hearts are turning, whose hearts are turned, who is looking for this? Who is saying, yes, Lord, here am I. Change me, touch me, fill me. But let us all realize that you told us, you taught us. Yes, there will be pruning. There will be moments when your shears trim us back so much. And we can't understand until we remember. Wait a second, you said this. Because when you prune back those branches, they come forth with more fruit, more leaves, more fruitful. And then people can come and say, sirs, we would see Jesus. Help us, God, because we certainly need your help. Let us not, 365 days from now, have had another year with the same results, but rather to have better results as we put our trust in you. That's why we say, Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus. Let us be found with our lamps burning, the wicks trimmed, taking care of our spiritual life, not knowing what day you shall say to us, come up here. And on that day, we'll be able to say without trepidation, without hesitation, yes, Lord. That's the day I've been looking forward to. Amen. 
We bless you, O God, today. We praise you. And I think if you would stand with me today, I think it would be entirely appropriate. When people see the ball drop, I'm not being critical here when I say that. Everybody will be jumping and screaming. Many people will be drunk. Many people will be intoxicated. We're not intoxicated. We're not drunk. But I do believe that the celebration of Jesus and all of his words and all of his promises and everything that we have is worthy of praise more than anything else Amen. on this, this earth. So let's just take just a minute to give him the praise this morning as we end this year. Give him the thanks. Bless your mighty name. Bless your mighty, mighty name. You are great, O Lord, and greatly to be praised. Bless your name, O God. Bless you, O God. Worthy are you, O God. Worthy are you, O God. Hallelujah. 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 One by one, you know, at this juncture of life, one by one, we'll all be taking our turn to see Jesus. Amen. And then, and it may not be that far away, it may come all at once for everybody. Amen. That would be something. And you want to be able to just rest in peace and be able to say, it is well with my soul. God bless you. I pray that 2024, you get better results than you got in 2023. But understanding the way I'm phrasing this, that depends on you. That depends on you being fervent and faithful every single day. And God will do the work. Pray for my mom, if you would. By the way, Andrew Franks sitting up here has just redesigned our website. So go see. It's very bright. If you've been on the website before, it's a really different approach. It's really, really good. I'm excited about it. So just go in there and just take a look. Father, we thank you for the end of another year. And we're still here, but we won't always be here. One day we'll be in your presence. Ever be with the Lord. Bless my friends, my brothers, my sisters. Help this coming year of 2024 for them to get better results than they got in 2023 as we move forward by your spirit and by your word in your son, Jesus Christ. And we give you all the praise, glory, and thanksgiving, Father. In Jesus' name. And you say amen with me this morning. Amen.